I'm going to start a series today and get down to it called The Contender. The Contender. I'm going, to, I'm going to Christianize something here. I'm going to go right out of the gate and let you know I'm going to Christianize the sport of boxing today. <laughs> Drawing analogies from, from the world of, of boxing and uh, as it relates to what the New Testament calls the fight of faith. Everyone say the fight of faith. Bible teacher John Piper says, life is war. And I know that's kind of like a harsh thing, but if, you've, if you kind of, Sue, Sue was walking with me the other day, and, she, and, and my wife is, a, she always sees the glass half full, and she always sees life in a very, very wonderful way. And I, and I think it's a gift to me, and it's a, it's a gift to people. And, uh, you know, how, she goes, you know, we have just, why have we lived such a blessed life? And we have lived a, a very, very blessed life. And then I, I started rehearsing all the challenges of our life, and not just recently, but throughout our, our trials. And I was kind of like, oh yeah, life is a little bit rough. And, uh, and there are things that get thrown at us. And there are setbacks and challenges and things that are, are, that are in our way to obtain what we feel God wants us to obtain. One of the great lessons that, that I've learned throughout life is whenever I set my heart on doing this thing called the will of God, whatever you perceive the will of God is in your life, and uh, there are general things that's true for all of us, and there are specific things that are just true for individuals, and there's some things that are true for some of us, and, and you're going after those things. Whenever I've gone after what I thought was the will of God, I have faced resistance. There's been nothing that's been handed to me that was uh, given to me because it was a cakewalk. There was nothing that I have obtained when it comes to the promises of God in the Bible that, that happened in my life or our marriage that didn't happen with a real effort on my part in facing resistance from life and the devil and everything else on, on the other side of this thing. Now, that doesn't mean I, I have not been victorious, but, um, but I have possessed very, very few things without a fight. And because of this, I am absolutely, in my understanding of the Bible, I'm absolutely convinced that passive Christianity, and I'm not talking about being a pacifist, but just passive, you're being passive about your Christian faith, will, will basically will lead to falling short of what God intended for you in your life. It's going to require a thing called contending. So let me, let me get into this definition of contend. The definition of contend means to strive or vibe. To vibe means to compete earnestly, to, to, to compete in contest or rivalry, rivalry or against difficulties. Now, we find ourselves as believers, as we get born again, we come into the kingdom, we find ourselves in the middle of a cosmic struggle. We're in the middle of a cosmic conflict between a victorious savior and a defeated enemy. That's where we live. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, Jesus came and he, he delivered us from this present, everyone say present, evil age. But yet we have an age to come. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 5 said, we have tasted the powers of the ages to come. That age to come is when Jesus comes again. Paul said, and, and, and then when he comes, he'll bring the kingdom, and then the end will come, and the last enemy to be defeated is what? Death. And so we live in this tension between these two ages, the one that's becoming obsolete, 
and the one that's entering in by the presence of the Holy Spirit and, and because of the work of the cross, where Jesus died on the cross, is entering in our life. We live in the tension of experiencing heaven and we live in the tension of evil. And we're going to live in that tension until Jesus comes. We find ourselves in this con- conflict. And why, why would God allow me to, to come into this conflict? And why, why does he allow me to experience it? Because he, he defeated Satan on the cross. That's what he did. When, when Jesus died, the doors of heaven were open to mankind relationship was open to mankind and everything that God wanted to do to restore man became possible because what Jesus did for us on the cross because of our separation so he Jesus then we sang it today rose out of the grave he submitted to the father he went through all that he went through and now he sits next to the right hand of the father but he but God is God is uh, a father who really wants his kids to join in with his family business Yes, yeah, there's a business in heaven called Gods and Sons and Daughters, okay? And, and he wants us to join in the family business. And so it's not good enough that Jesus defeated Satan. The church needs to defeat Satan. It's not good enough that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again from the dead. I have to defeat Satan in my life. I have to defeat sin in my life. I have to defeat those things that oppose the will of God in my life. He wants to put Satan under my feet. He wants to put Satan under your feet. He wants to bring victory to you. Just say the person next to you, God wants to bring victory to you. Now, I don't, I don't care if you're not feeling very victorious this morning in life. Okay, what you're experiencing is irrelevant. What is relevant, oh, it's, I don't want to be that cruel, but the, but the issue, what's relevant is what God said he wants to do in your life. That's the more relevant thing that you got to tap into. I downloaded this in the description of a, what, what a contender is in the area of, of boxing. Because I did download this, nothing original on my part here. I can't even remember the site I downloaded it from. I probably should have done that for copyright purposes, but I thought this was good. Contender has a slightly different meaning than competitor, often implying a more vigorous, even scrappier sense of taking on every unexpected challenge. The most famous use of contender is Marlon Brando's quote in the film On the Waterfront. How many old-timers watched that movie? All right. Most people who watch that movie are in heaven. Well, you should be doing pretty good. Brando, Brando plays a once promising boxer whose career has been ruined by a fixed fight. I could have been a contender, Brando cried, implying he could have been the boxer whom everyone wanted to defeat. How would you like to be the, the boxer, using analogy in the faith, that every demon in hell wants to try to defeat? How would you like to be the contender that just is, just, you just have that scrappy, I can do this, knock me down, throw everything at me. I'm still going to keep on going on. How do you like that type of a reputation? I like that type of a reputation. There's a, that I'm a scrapper. That I, I'm not going to get knocked. If I get knocked down, I'm going to get back up again. We all love our Rocky movies. I mean, after about Rocky Five, I started losing interest. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, Stallone got older. He turned into a coach. It just wasn't the same. No, 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 no slant on Creed, but uh, he's, he's good. But he's not Rocky. He's Stallone. You know, 
There was just something about Rocky back in 1979, whenever that movie was made, that just sparked something, 78, sparked something in American culture. There was a disillusionment in America. There was, we were defeated in our mindset. We think we have stress now. We, we had great, great stress then. And uh, there was a disillusionment across the country about our future. And there was just something from this, this two-bit actor who got a, his script, you know, he pitched it and they took it and he got to star in it about a, about a two-bit boxer from the back streets of Philadelphia that gets a, gets a shot at the, at the title with Apollo's Creed. And, and somehow all of America started identifying themselves in, uh, in, in Rocky Balboa. You know, we all have crawled out to our wives, men. Adrian! You know, we've all, we've all done that. <laughs> but somehow we saw ourselves in Stallone. We saw ourselves in that boxer. We saw ourselves climbing up from the, the dregs of defeat and disillusionment to somehow obtain something. There was just something in that movie, whether you like boxing or not, that just did something in the heart of Americans. Come on, we want to be contenders. We want to be fighters. A contender is this. More of a boxing term here. This is a qualified opponent who has worked his way up the ranks in order, in order to challenge, to challenge for the world title. It's not just handed to you. It's not just overnight. It's not just easy. It's not just something you give a half-hearted effort to. What does a contender go through, for instance, in training for a fight? Mostly they spend months in training. They usually train five, five days a week. There is a thing in, in athletic training where you have to do this thing called recover. You know, when you do a workout, just to give you a little science of exercise here, you're not building yourself up. You're really tearing yourself down. Okay, so when you work out, it's like a, like, like a wrecking ball hitting a building. You're actually destroying your tendons and your ligaments and your, and your muscles, and you're, you're ripping yourself to shreds. What builds you back up is nutrition. That's the restoration crew giving you that picture. So they train five days a week. Usually their workouts go something like this. They, this is one particular contender's workout. They, uh, they basically do about 30 to 60 minutes of road work. That means running. They warm up for 30 minutes. They do bag work for 30 to 60 minutes. They spar for 30 minutes. And they do about an hour of strength training, things like, like uh, battle ropes and flipping tires and Bulgarian bags and slam balls and all these weird things that you see Stallone do in these movies. They, they do that, and then they, then they kind of do a... They do, they do kind of a, you know, a warm, a warm down by doing crunches for about 30 minutes. They do that like five days a week. And you start tagging that up, that's like a four or five hour workout. Okay, they do for months with strict diet before they're going to face that championship fight. It's not just something that's just going to be handed to you. You're not going to hold that belt and in this case, well done, good and faithful servant, because you just passively just kind of drifted through life and just, you know, hope for the best and I'll land where I land. What does the concept of contender imply? It implies this, that we have to possess a dream. You know, we're made in the image of God. And in that, God made us dreamers. God had a dream. He has a dream of a church. 
Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's a dream in God. And, they, and because we're made in the image of God, we're, we're natural dreamers. You may not think you're much of a dreamer, but you really are much more of a dreamer than you think you are. We have creative imagination of what could be. And I think we see this in kids. And, uh, and uh, it was like last summer, I, I, we had Scout and, uh, and Wallace, uh, two of my grandsons, with us in the cabin. And uh, we, we kind of, we kayaked up to this little sandbar island and let them play. And, and uh, you know, they found just two sticks. And it was amazing what those two boys did with two sticks. They created more warfare and Power Ranger stuff and gladiator things. And, and they were just, and it was fun watching them. I asked, I asked Scout the other day, he's nine now. I said, I started doing the question, like, what do you think you want to be when you grow up? And, and you, you may laugh at this. He said, I'm a, I want to be a Power Ranger. But uh, I don't see a whole lot of want ads right now for Power Rangers. But, uh, <laughs> but, but Scout told me a lot about himself. He, what, what I heard between the lines is I want to do something noble. Yes. Amen. Whatever I do, I want to be noble. Now, some, no, no one else would do that, but remember, I was a kid with nothing going my way, and the things that I imagined when I played were things that became a reality in my adulthood because we're made in the image of God. So I don't know, whatever he does, it's going to be not just a run-of-the-mill obscure thing. I believe Scott will be a kid that has a noble heart to go do noble things for other people. It wasn't just a love for action figures. It was, it's beyond that. Because we're made in the image of God. We're made to dream. God made us to dream and to go after those things. I'll never forget Leslie, she was at UW. I was so happy. We were up on all our tuition payments and doing great. She had gone through two years as an English major and she wanted to have, my, wife, my daughter and I have had, haven't had a whole lot of like deep heart to heart talks that wouldn't be the MO of our relationship, but we're having a cup of coffee. And she said, Dad, I, I want to go to Chapman down in Orange, California. Now, UW is a state university and has a nice standardized tuition fee. <laughs> Chapman's a private college. <laughs> big, big fee. So I swallowed this and money. And she said to me, I'll never forget, she said to me, I have to go after my dream. Well, that's playing on the strings of my heart. It was unfair. It was cheating. It was... <laughs> but it was so important because she was made in the image of God. And it's been miraculous what God's done with her life in that pursuit of following that particular dream. We have to be dreamers in order to be contenders. The second thing we have to do is we have to go beyond normal effort to attain that dream. Not, nominal effort will not bring about God's purpose in your life. Now, I'm not talking about being an overachiever. I'm not talking about being a workaholic. I'm, I'm not talking about taking on God's responsibility. Grace is at work, but grace burns in you. Grace moves you. Grace provokes you. Grace drives you. Come on, there are, there are things that, there are conditions to the promises of God. Hebrews tells us after we do the will of God, then we will obtain the promise. There are conditions. I could, I could list a number of promises in Scripture and list the conditions to those promises right next to it. That's why we go through tests of faith, because the tests, 
test whether we're going to fulfill the condition in order for us to possess the promise. And a lot of times the condition is training us and preparing us to obtain that promise. Why do you think so many people are destroyed by winning the lottery? Because they get an overnight success. They don't know how to handle money. Because they don't know how to handle money. They don't know how to handle wealth. They're destroyed. Just read the studies on this. They're destroyed. Relationships are destroyed because they weren't prepared to handle that much money. Come on, we got to be people that go beyond normal effort to obtain this promise. And we have to overcome an opponent. That opponent's out to defeat us, he's out to destroy us. Of course, that would be true in Jesus and Moses' life from their birth that the enemy was out to destroy them. We're going to face resistance. See, contender is a little bit different than I'm just going to go compete against myself. I know that's the big thing right now. Just, just don't compare yourself to others. Okay, you, you are going to, you know, just yourself. But, but in this case, I'm not comparing myself to others. I'm comparing myself to the reality of what I know God wants me to be. And there's, a, there's an opponent that's resisting that. There's something that I got to fight against and someone who's trying to resist me. And then we have to live... A life of discipline. And I believe in living a full, blessed life. I, I think I do. I've been accused of being a workaholic. I'll go on record on that. An overachiever. And I think I've had horrible overachieving issues in my past. But I really do enjoy life. I, I, I like to hike. I really do like to go on hikes with my wife. And, and I love to hike in the mountains. I, I enjoy kayaking. I, I love to swim and snorkel. And I love the beach. I love our lake. I got a cabin. And... and, uh, and uh, I, I love sports. I love physical fitness, as you well know. I love to watch football. I love to watch basketball in the playoff times. And, and I really do get into the tournaments and concentrate and just really enjoy that. And uh, I enjoyed watching my dogs finally learn how to play football again and beat Arizona last night. And uh, <laughs> how'd the Cougs do yesterday? They, they... Uh, oh, yeah, wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> get back on this. I love going to the theater. My wife and I, with a number, some couple other couples from the church, we have season theater tickets. The theater, the theater. Okay, we go there. We have fun. I like going to movies with a popcorn, with some popcorn. Sit with Sue right next to me, and I just enjoy that like it's our first date. I, I enjoy, I enjoy working on our yard. I, I actually enjoy lifting heavy things for Sue. Uh, I do. I, I do. I enjoy that. But here's the issue. All, all the things that we do in life have to have parameters and limits on them because we have to focus on what God's called us to possess. And there's no such thing as possessing a promise without a thing called discipline. And discipline means I can't do everything. i got to lean down to focus. The last thing is this, is that we have to per- persevere through opposition, setbacks, failures, and pain. You know, look, you know, doing some research in, in boxing, I came across a, a famous heavyweight champion back in the 1930s. He was from Germany. His name was Max Schmeling. How many people ever heard of Max Schmeling? Hey, we got some Germans here. All right. He came to the U.S. in 1928. He started boxing in 1924. Just to show you, the, I, I wanted to use him because an example of what this life is of a contender. He came in 1980, he took on a boxer by the name of Johnny Risco. Johnny Risco was called the rubber man from Cleveland. He had a busted up right shoulder, so he was known for his left hook. 
and he was known to take intense, intense pounding. He beat Johnny Risco. He knocked him out, which was a rare thing to do that. And then he won the heavyweight championship of the world by disqualification in 1930 because a guy named Jack Sharkey hit him below the belt. Okay, so he got disqualified, and he wins the national champion. Now, he's German. Okay, he wins the, the world heavyweight championship by disqualification, and so everyone's back after him. In 1932, Sharkey gets back in the, the ring with him, and he won it back. After 15 rounds, Sharkey gets the, the belt back. So then, Schmeling, he starts climbing, contending his way back to be a heavyweight. He challenges Max Barr. Max Barr is that big, ugly guy. Remember, uh, Remember Russell Crowe and the contender about James Braddock and the Cinderella Man? Not the contender, but the Cinderella Man. Big Max Barr. So he takes on, he takes on Max Barr, but Max Barr knocks him out in the 10th round. All right? But in 1936, Schmeling's not, he's not done yet. He gets out there and he knocks out a rising star called Joe Lewis. And so thinking now, he now has a, he has a, he has a break now to go after the, the reigning world champion at the time, which is the Cinderella man, James Braddock at that time. He is the world champion of the world. So he's going to go after him, but, the, but the, the powers that be say, no, Joe Lewis is going to fight him for the championship. Joe Lewis fights James Braddock, knocks James Braddock out, gets the world title. Schmeling gets put to side. Now, part of that could have been a political. There was the rise of the Third Reich. There was the Nazi party. He was from Germany and all that took place. But, you know, he's, he's going to continue, continue to, uh, to contend. And Schmeling got a chance against Joe Lewis in 1938. <laughs> But unfortunately, Schmeling got knocked out. And then the war began, and he actually fought for the German army. Like a lot of people left the United States who were German and actually fought in Germany during World War II. But one of the things that was interesting about Schmeling, he was, he was famous for saving two Jewish children, risking his life for saving two Jewish, Jewish children. I don't know all the details of what he did, but he was a noble man. And he actually became best friends the rest of his life with Joe Lewis. But this is the issue. He wasn't always on top. He had to scrap his way. He didn't always get a fair shake. He, didn't, he didn't, wasn't always winning. He got knocked down. He got up. He got overlooked. He faced obstacles. He was German at a time that wasn't too popular. And yet he, he was ranked 50, 55th out of a top 100 boxers of all time. Lived to be 99 years old, died in 2005. He was a contender. He had to arise. He had to be overlooked. He had to win. He had to go through defeat. He had to get taken down from the top. He wasn't a quitter. He was a scrapper. He was fighting one opponent after another. Now, I, 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 when I kind of read about Max Schmeling, I kind of think that describes my journey as a Christian. I wish I could write you a book, How to Live Like a King's Kid, and here's the formula, and here's the promise, and Here's what you do, and here's how you get through it. Here's how you land. But my biography will not look like that. It'll look like up, down, up, over, up, overlooked, being punched, being hit, being overlooked, going through one trial after another trial after another trial that actually leads me to the ultimate thing that God wants me to do in my life. We're contenders. Everyone say, I'm a contender. Now, the question is, Ken, Bob, can you do this, what you're doing right now? Can you Christianize sport analogies and apply them to our Christian walk? <laughs> the Apostle Paul did. <laughs> okay, so I'm in, 
I'm in, I'm in good stead here. In Paul's day, there was these games called the Isthmian Games. And many of the commentators believe that when Paul was in Corinth in 51 AD, that's when the Isthmian Games going on, he most likely went to the games. And, and some of the analogies that he drew, in, and especially like there's five or six major verses in the New Testament that he refers to boxing, he got, he got from the Isthmian from the Isthmian Games. And uh, they were every two years. It's kind of interesting in these games that the guys competed nude. And um, they kind of wanted to show off the, the form of the body. Married women were not allowed to come to the games. <laughs> but unmarried women were allowed. Actually, the, the word gym, I'm going to the gym, comes from a Greek word, I think it's genos, which means nude. So basically, going to the gym means I'm going to get nude. <laughs> so be careful next time you say I'm going to the gym. <laughs> the reason they did it, of course, you know, in Greek culture in that time, they beauty and form, you know, that's why they oiled the athletes up. They wanted their body to, to glisten, and they just had this hyper-appreciation for the, the, the symmetry of the body and, and everything else. And, and um, actually, Mediterranean culture, uh, prior to the games, uh, in, the, in, the, in the Mediterranean, they, they actually did wear something to cover, but they really wanted to kind of celebrate the, the body. And so these guys competed, dude, they, they ran. I actually was an Olympiad with Sue a year ago summer, and I got to go to the Olympia, original Olympia uh, Stadium and Village and every place where they competed for 1,600 years. I got to stand in the starting blocks. They, they would run. They would do javelin and discus. They would do um, wrestling. And they would do boxing. And a lot of times they would box with leathers, straps on their hands. Some guys would actually put stones and spikes and stuff in their hands like that. But I'm going to get into something where they could get disqualified for things of that nature. And uh, catch this. They would read poetry and they would sing. Now you wouldn't think that singing was a part of an athletic event, but you start thinking about those of you who do a lot of singing, like those on our worship team, the, the strain that puts on your vocal cords and the fatigue that takes place when you're singing. And uh, even Nero invaded the Isthmian Games and, and basically used his, his political power to kind of take over, and, went, and he won the singing contest. I, I don't think he had any other options but to give him the, the award. He said he didn't have much of a voice, but he wanted to sing at these particular games. <clears throat> you only got the top award. There, there was no gold, silver, or bronze. You... You got one prize. There was actually an epitaph found in Olympiad of a boxer. And it says here, here he died in the stadium having prayed to Zeus for a wreath or death. Farewell, age 35. He died boxing. He died boxing. So Paul uses these Isthmian games to show us and illustrate our need to live a life of focus and discipline even under grace. The Corinthians and their freedom in the first letter to, to Corinth were, 
were taking their knowledge that I'm free from the law, and they were taking it to the extent where they were going into temples where meat was offered to idols and actually partaking of these festivals, thinking there's really nothing to this, and I'm going to have a good hamburger. And Paul is saying, you, 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 you can't do that. You can't fellowship at the table of the Lord and fellowship at the table of, 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 of demons. You, you, you can't interact with darkness and say that you're separated to God. You've got to avoid idolatry. And, uh, and Paul then, he, he brings a, an athletic analogy. I'll paraphrase it. Using the games, he says, listen, if you compete as an athlete, you just don't get crowned for participating. You have to compete by the, by the rules and bring yourself under discipline. So here's where we get our famous 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27 passage. Paul said this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? They, they had one award. It was, a, it was a wreath made of celery. That had to be quite a, quite a wreath. Didn't last long. I mean, you, you couldn't, couldn't show it to your grandchildren. It would just kind of fade away. But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Run that you may attain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. There's incredible discipline. In the Olympiad games in Greece, the athlete had to train, separate himself for 10 months of training. In the Isthmian Games, my research tells me that they only separate themselves for a month, but they were a month on very, very strict diet. They had trainers who trained you. You know, it wasn't like trainers today. They, they, they didn't know what you know, self-esteem was and praise and positive affirmation. They had sticks and they beat you. And, and uh, it was training. It was rigorous training and diet and everything else that was there. That you, you separated yourself from the normal aspects of, of life, like a boxer contending for the championship. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we... And imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I know what I'm going after. I'm going after this thing called a relationship with Jesus. Paul says, I press towards, I strive towards the upward call of God, the, the heavenward vision. I'm not striving for this life. I'm striving for something beyond this life. I do not box as one beating the air. I'm actually punching a bag. I got a target. I'm boxing. And I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And one of the things they did in the Isthmian Games, they took you into a room. The building, they had that room and it's still today at Corinth. And they would take them in and they would read the rules and the athlete would make a vow that he would compete according to those rules or he would be disqualified from the game. Paul goes on in another verse. He says, fight the good fight of faith, of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to what you were called and about what you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. There's a boxing match we're in called the fight of faith. But the reward is not a championship reef. The Bible tells us to believe to the end. To endure to the end. The wreath is our eternal relationship with God. I wonder when I do face Jesus and you face Jesus, 
which I live my whole life every second of the day in light of that reality. Leonard Ravenhill used to say, you gotta have eternity written on your eyelids. I, I, want, I wonder what ever wreath Jesus is gonna give to us, you know, when he does give us a well done or welcome in, or, you know, I see you at last, we can embrace flesh to flesh and face to face. I wonder how much the other things in my life are really gonna have meaning at that moment. I'm one of millions of preachers have said something like this. But it is a profound thought. In light of being with Jesus for eternity, what will anything else really mean at that moment? At that moment. We have a wreath to obtain. It's called relationship with him. Paul was writing Timothy, and he says this to Timothy, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which, which promote speculations, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Now, there were different doctrines obviously being taught uh, in, in, um, uh, in Ephesus. It was based on... It was based on myths and it was based on genealogies and these were things that were within the church that were challenging our faith and Timothy was to confront these wrong thoughts and these wrong concepts, these wrong doctrines. Paul in the same chapter that he read that previous verse, he says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Now he wasn't to fight for his prophecies, he was to fight with his prophecies. His prophecies were the tool to go after what he was called to do. Obviously, his prophecies were to confront those things that challenged what we call our faith. And he was to use those prophecies to fight against those false ideologies and to defeat them. That was what he was called to do. We see kind of the same type of uh, analogy also, and sports analogy, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14, Paul said this, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Not, that's, not, not, that's not casual language. Straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. No, I strain forward what lies ahead. I, I press forward to the goal. But what's the goal? The goal is what he calls the upward call. Let's take upward out. Let's put heavenward. The call is the heavenward call of God on my life. We are to be heavenward, heaven-focused. Another place Paul said, do not seek, the, seek those things which are above not on things on the earth where Christ is seated next to the right hand of God. The upward call is my life with Jesus forever. It's my relationship with Jesus. The upward call is the completion of God's work in your life and in my life. Now, if that is what I press towards, that's what I strive for, that's what I play according to the rules for, that's why I bring my body in subjection for, then I gotta, I gotta look at this thing called this relationship with Jesus is paramount in my life. 
that can't be compromised. It's something that's not, it's not casual. It's something I got to press into. It's something I got to strive for. It's something I got I to contend for. And of course, we have an opponent. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We've covered this in our Ephesians series this summer, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're in a spiritual conflict with satanic entities that oppose our faith. Okay, so we, gotta, we, gotta, we have to discipline ourselves. We have to contend for this thing. We even have a fight within ourselves. Paul said, for I delight in the law of God, I delight in the law of God, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. I have something going on in me that fights against what God wants to do in my life. So what do I contend for? Let's get the worship team up here. We're going to bring this to a close. You're just introducing the center. What, what do we contend for as a follower of Jesus? Well, I've already talked about it. The upward call of God, the completion of God's work in my life. And that's not you know, I'm fulfilling my ministry. That's the completion of God's work. No, the completion of God's work is that I would become like Christ and that I might know him. That's the completion of God's work. Ministry, God ties that thing into that so I might come to know him, but it's really about knowing him and becoming like him. For my sanctification. Sanctification means to be separated from and to be separated to something. Come on, I need to fight for my sanctification. I need to separate myself from sin. I need to separate myself from wrong thinking. I need to separate myself from, from, from mental we talked a lot about our, our anxiety, our emotions, and disorders, and everything else. I got I to ask, I got to fight for freedom from wrong thinking and from wrong emotions. I got to fight. I got to fight for my emotional health. I got to fight for my mental health. I got to fight for my spiritual health. You got to fight. You got to contend. You might get knocked down. You might be a scrapper, but you got to contend. We got to fight for the will of God. We got to contend for this thing. You know, Jesus was opposed. Paul was opposed. Moses was opposed. Jeremiah was opposed. Almost every saint in the Bible faced opposition, including the Son of God. What do we do? We contend. We contend. We've been knocked down. They just say, I'm not going to get knocked down again. We've got to contend for the faith. That was Timothy's charge. Faith is the sum total of what we believe. You know, today, you know, it's all about, well, scholars are saying this and scholars are saying that. Scholars are saying this. I, I just want to say this, is that we are to contend, according to Jude 3, for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We've been given something 2,000 years ago from the eyewitnesses of Jesus into our hands, and we're not to, we're not to mess with it. We've been handed something. We need to fight for the faith. And lastly, we need to fight for the promises of God. There are things that we can expect from God. One being that he's the I am in my life. He's the one who's near to guide. He's the one who's near to provide. He's near to protect, heal, deliver. Come on, he's near us.
He's here to help us. He's here to intervene for us. The Bible says, for all the promises of God, find their yes in him, Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Let's stand to our feet.